Last week, we looked at 1 Thessalonians in the very beginning chapter of Paul's letter to the the church in Thessalonica, where Paul showed us what, how we could feed one another's hope by by sharing the the stories of how God has impacted us, changed us, transformed us. And um, today, I asked Colleen Shai to share further stories to help feed our hope um, in Jesus. And so I asked her to, to share some of the stories in which God has um, uh, led her to participate in, in healings uh, for folks um, in her life. So let's hear from Colleen. Hello, church. I miss seeing everybody. I'm glad we at least can meet with virtual church. Um, I'm Colleen Scheid, and I want to follow on from what Drew was talking about last week. He mentioned how important it is for us to recall and talk about what God has done in our lives. And we had a great example with Kelly telling us her story about how Jesus healed her from agoraphobia. This week, I'm going to tell another story or two. And I want to emphasize God's uh, power to work supernaturally through really ordinary people. Um, I first became aware of this a long time ago. I was living in Australia in a house that my dad had built for us. We were a family that knew pretty much nothing about God until I went to camp with a friend of mine and came home a Christian. And my family thought I was super weird because I was reading the Bible, I was um, talking about Jesus, and I was going to church. And meanwhile, I was asking myself, how on earth are they going to ever understand how good God is and the whole Jesus thing? Uh, But here's what happened. Uh, A little while after, my dad came home from work one night and told me that his friend Paul was in trouble. He had gotten back from a trip to Africa, gotten a degenerative eye disease. It was really rare. Doctors didn't know what to do for him, and they thought he was probably going to go blind. They were going to try an experimental surgery. So the next day, I was sitting in the car waiting to pick my dad up from work when A thought came into my mind, uh, out of nowhere, and not my own thought, pray for Paul and tell your mom and dad that he's going to be healed. I had never heard of anything like this happening, but I decided to give it a shot. So when dad got to the car, I told him, and he looked at me like I was kind of crazy. I told my mom, and she said something like, well, I, I hope you're right, honey. And that was that. But a couple of days later, Dad went to the hospital to see Paul after he had supposedly had surgery. And soon after, he called back to the house, and he was stammering, and he was all excited. And he said, the doctors don't know what's going on. They went in to do surgery, but they found that there was nothing wrong with his eyes, and so they didn't do anything. And when he came out of the anesthetic, he could see perfectly, and it was gone. So Dad was amazed at this, and I told him, tell Paul that, you know, I told you that Jesus was going to heal him, and Jesus did. Tell him it was Jesus. And so then my mother was sitting there all amazed, and so I said to Mom, well, do you think Jesus did it? And she said, well, yes, I guess he did. And then I said, well, is there any reason why you're not a Christian? And she said, well, no, I guess there isn't. So I went and got my little four spiritual laws book because I didn't know how else to do it. And we um, we read through it and prayed just like I had done at camp. 
And mom became a Christian. Dad became a Christian a couple of years after that. And since then, on and off through the years, I've seen some other pretty cool things happen. Um, prayed for a neighbor down the street, and his brain tumor just went away. It wasn't there. Um, had a boss with a terrible disc problem. That got healed. Brought mom to a healing service years ago at College Hill Presbyterian Church. Karen Lane prayed for her, and her back, which had been, it had healed bent after she fell off a horse and broke it. And as Karen prayed, it straightened out. So, it was um, amazing stuff. And what I'm learning in the last couple of years is, I don't think God wants to us to wait for those amazing moments where we get some kind of revelation out of nowhere. Um, I think that he wants us to be operating in a listening, loving focus on him whenever we're with people so that we're always ready to do what he wants us to do. And I'm going to finish with one more story of how I'm kind of learning to do that in a stumbling sort of a way. Um, and, and here's what happened last week. We were up at the school, Pleasant Hill, doing um, some volunteering as food was being given out for people. We were giving out volunteer items that people had, um, had donated. And as Claire Snyder was getting those things, I would go up to the car and say, can I pray for you? And one lady said, oh, please, please pray for me, but, but you just pray what you think God wants you to pray. So I, I took a breath, took a pause, and I saw the word arthritis, just in writing, like on a chalkboard. So I prayed for her arthritis. I prayed that God would shrink the swelling and give her more movement and roll back the effects of it and heal her. And after the prayer, um, I wondered if I'd like hit or completely missed and she was like, that was the Holy Spirit, because I've got osteoarthritis, and I've got rheumatoid arthritis, and my doctor told me I need to walk, get my joints moving, and that was just the perfect prayer for me. So I, I didn't have time to ask her how she was feeling, because it was a drive through and she had to leave, but it was a start, and I hope I see her again. But I want to finish saying it's really important in this time when people are suffering so much that we be really open to what God wants to do for them through us. Thank you. Now, I hope that that was an encouragement uh, to you, that, that hearing those stories um, it led you to revel and marvel in God's power and in his healing power. And that you, as Paul tells us in the book of Romans, you rejoiced with those that rejoiced. Um, I pray that it indeed did feed your hope as a reminder of the power of the resurrection, uh, that Jesus has indeed conquered disease. He has conquered death. He has conquered sin. And so when we hear uh, some of those stories of how God is, is heals people in this life now, we're reminded of that power. And it also feeds our hope as we look forward to the day that Jesus will return to make all things right, to make all things new as God has created them to do. He will renew you and me. He will renew all who are in Christ Jesus. He will renew the heavens and the earth. Because we need that hope. Every day we need that hope. 
particularly today, it's obvious we need that hope in times of a pandemic. But putting a pandemic aside, even days before of a pandemic, we knew of the, the evil in our world. We, we knew of the, the, the ravages of death and, and disease. And we know of the, the sin that's within us. And hearing those stories of, that we share with one another of God's resurrection power, that um, is what gives us hope that indeed uh, Jesus will come back and make all things new and empowers us to continue to live in his power today. Now, uh, Whereas last week we learned from Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica about that we need to share our stories of God's work in our lives to feed our hope. Today, we're going to look at the second chapter of that letter to explore with him, to learn from Paul. How do we share these stories of God at work in our lives in order to feed the hope of those outside of the church? Um, you know, it's Paul and Timothy and Silvanus, they are the ones that visited Thessalonica. And at the time they visited, there was no one there who was a follower of Jesus. So everyone was outside of the church. So this is a great example as we learn from them some of the, the core elements of how we share these stories of God in order to feed the hope of those outside of the faith. And if you recall, as we looked at last week um, in Acts chapter 17, that tells us the story of Paul's visit uh, with the Thessalonians. And um, that it was not a pleasant visit, um, uh, that it was atrocious evil even, uh, that says, uh, Paul and Timothy and Silvanus, they eventually were opposed, directly opposed and attacked and beaten. Other people who were new Christians just become followers of Jesus because Paul had brought this good news to share with them. They also were attacked. One was pulled out of his house and beaten. And then eventually the leaders in Thessalonica that opposed them ran Paul out of town and even chased them to the next town that they went to and ran them out of that town. Yet, Paul would say this was a successful mission. How? How did he say that? What, what about this made it successful? Well, what did Paul do to make this a successful mission of sharing the stories of Jesus and his impact on their lives with those outside of the faith so as to feed their hope so much so that they would join with them, even in the face of such persecution. That's what we'll learn as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 um, today. And we'll, we'll learn from Paul in the power of the Spirit, how do we share our hope in Jesus in the midst of a broken world to those that are outside of the church. Let's pray together. Uh, Almighty God, we thank you for your written word as it teaches us and continues to teach us today. Take this word that is thousands of years old and speak to our very soul. Lead us and guide us and transform us so that we might do your good and perfect will. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so today 
It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. And I'll first read the first six um, verses, and then I'll uh, complete the most of the chapter. All right, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. I mean, so even, even there we hear from Paul that this... This visit was not in vain, even as atrocious as it was and all the persecution. This fulfilled the, the purpose and mission of God and the work of the kingdom. So we know this is a good thing that Paul is going to share with us. But though we'd already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Now, let's stop right there, because we see the first point that that Paul makes as he is bringing these stories of Jesus to feed the hope of those outside the church. The first thing that he captures, that he um, explains to the uh, the Thessalonians is that. He had pure motives before God. You know, as we want to share the stories of Jesus in our life with those outside the faith, we, like Paul, need to regularly be purifying our motives before God. I mean, you see it particularly in verse 4, where he, he says that, He was there to please God who tests our hearts. Now, the heart understanding in Paul's day and in the first century was really the place where our motives, our desires, our priorities were. So what he was saying is that God is the one who tests. And by tests, he means refining, transforming our motives. And so Paul, in his desire to take the good news to those outside the faith, he is sure to be doing his work in order to please God and no one else. Not the Thessalonians, not anybody else but God. And as a follower of Jesus, we're the same as Paul. God it knows our inner being. He knows our inner thoughts. He knows our our desires and our motives and he wants to work to rightly order our desire and when paul says that he tests our hearts that means that god is always at work reforming and refining our desires and as a follower of jesus we have total access to god and god has total access to us we we communicate with god and god communicates with us he is at work in my soul and in yours And he will work in you and in me 
to continue to purify our hearts so that our desire becomes more and more to please God above all else. Now, the other thing that Paul is getting to here is he's explaining to the Thessalonians that he wasn't like the other speakers that would travel through towns. It was a common in those days that you had different speakers and different sales folks who would come through and make pitches and sell and bring folks um, to get on board with some particular plan or some particular um, product or uh, some uh, particular revolution. And they would come through and say, come, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to make life better for us. So give your monies towards uh, this purpose and we will change the world. And they'd fill their pockets and then skip town. And Paul wanted to be clear to say that he took no money from them in uh, Thessalonia. And he wanted wanted them to, to know he was not like those other traveling speakers. And he wants us to know. That is, we are carrying out the mission of God and we want to bring hope to those outside the church. That is, we're sharing the stories of Jesus. He, God, will be at work purifying our hearts and purifying our motives to him. Um, I'll give you an example of a, a poor motive in, in my life in terms of trying to share the stories of Jesus with those outside the faith. This was uh, several months ago, and I was with a, a group, obviously, several months ago. And in the group, a uh, number of folks who were not followers of Jesus, and one of them turned to me after finding out you know, who I was and uh, said, asked me about the faith and what it meant to follow Jesus. And in that moment, one, sort of shocked from that question, you don't get such a bold statement, a uh, bold question, But in that moment, my attention went to the rest of the people in the group. What what could I say to impress them? Now, that's a bad motive. That's just not a good motive at all. And and then I also thought about, well, what could I say to so as to not offend them unnecessarily? That's not a bad motive. That can be a good motive. And. Then also thought about how can I include them in the conversation, which that's not necessarily a bad motive either. But all of them are bad first motives. Because that became my attention instead of saying, God, what what would I say that would please you? How can I serve you in this moment? And the conversation went on. I wasn't heretical. I wasn't mean-spirited. But afterwards, as I reflected on it, I recognized just how much I missed what God was doing in that time because I was distracted with a poor priority of motives. Now, I don't beat myself up over that. I mean, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner better than you know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a a sinner almost as well as God knows that I'm a a sinner. Um, But I I recognize that grace abounds. And yeah, I blew that one. And I went to God afterwards and came to my uh, realization later. God, forgive me. Yeah, I, I miss that. I am, I am sorry. I didn't serve you. I didn't serve the person that asked the question or anybody that was, was there either. I really was serving myself. So um, 
And, and then said, God, purify me. You know, continue to help me make my motive in sharing the good news um, to bring hope to others, to please you above all else. And now I will say that I'm, I'm loaded at this time, and not so much with what to say, uh, but I'm loaded to say what is my motive when those opportunities come back around. And, and as well, I think for the church in North America these days and for us as a church, it is crucial we continue to purify our motive before God as we're seeking to share the stories of Jesus to feed the hope of the world. It's crucial that our motives be like Paul, that, that our motive be to please God above all else, because many churches in the United States are similar to ours declining numerically. And we could be motivated in our evangelism by that. We could be motivated not to please God, but to get more people into the church in order to save the church or save the institution. And again, those aren't bad things, but those are terrible first motives. We've got to be sure we set those motives aside in our evangelism as we share the stories of Jesus with those outside the church. If we want to feed their hope in the midst of a broken world, then our motives must be purifying before God, making God the one we want to please and not ourselves or anything else. All right, the set, let's uh, pick up then with verse uh, 7 and uh, pick up the, the second thing that, that Paul says. Not only do we purify our motive before God, but as we see here, we'll also uh, we share our lives with others. Uh, we'll pick up in verse 7. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in the second part, Paul now shares with us the other element of sharing the stories of Jesus with those outside the church in order to feed their hope. And it's when we share the stories of Jesus, we also share our lives with those outside of the faith. Here again, verse 8. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, 
but also our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. Now, the, the, the charge that Paul is saying to those of us who are in the church of Jesus Christ, and we share these, this story with those outside the faith, is we don't just share a story, but we share our lives as well. If you look in the passage, he goes on to say it's not about just sharing information or inspiration. It is about sharing your life with them. He uses um, uh, relational language uh, to say you're like a nursing mother in verse 7. And then in verse 11, he says you're, you're like a father to them. Now, let's just think about that for a moment. I mean, a nursing mother gives of themselves to their child, literally. And that's a metaphor for what the church is to be to those outside. We give of ourselves to those outside the church. We give our time, our energy, our emotion, our physical support. And then the father as well, the words that he uses there in verse 11, exhort, encourage, charge them. It's not only advice that he's giving, but it's true support and encouragement. Saying, Paul saying to the Thessalonians, we were involved in your lives. And he's telling us as the church today, as we do the same to those outside the church, we get involved in their lives. We don't just give them information. We don't say, hey, here's a good book to read. Instead, we say, hey, here's a a book to read. What if we read it together and explore how it impacts our lives? Now, again, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you're qualified to to sit with someone else, whether they have no faith or if they're new in the faith. You're qualified to read with them from God's word and explore. What does this mean? Let's search it out. Let's let's ask, let's wonder together what this means in our lives. And then you always have other folks, elders and pastors, to ask questions. Of what does this passage mean? How does this impact our lives together? And because all of the energy, Paul says in verse 11, all of this energy, all this emotional and physical support, being like a mother, being like a, a father to the, uh, the, the new Christians in uh, Thessalonica, is in verse 11, to walk in a manner worthy of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that is the purpose of the church, to make disciples, to to form one another, to be folks that follow Jesus, that obey Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying is our goal with all that we share the stories of Jesus with in order to feed their hope. Whether they're no faith, young in the faith, or old in the faith. Our purposes are to help one another walk in a manner that is worthy of God. Now, maybe my my favorite part of that saying is just that it's walk. You walk in a manner. You don't run, you don't hop, you don't jump, you don't crawl. But you're walking as to say, this is every part of life. This is the ups, this is the downs, and all the in-betweens. We seek to help one another walk in a manner worthy of God. um, And that that phrase, that metaphor is used uh, throughout the Scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation. 
And um, the, uh, uh, the collection of writings in Judaism that are the, the, the laws and the traditions and the customs, uh, they're, they're called the halakha, which literally means the way of walking. They are the, the comprehensive statement of living one's whole life in obedience to God. And that is Paul's purpose with them and what he says is our purpose with one another. The highs, the lows, and all the in-betweens to live that in a manner worthy of God. He, he goes on to say, it gives one other element of this, of our sharing our life um, with uh, um, one another, is that the, the, the Christian life is shared in such a way so that those who are in the church... And invite others to come be a part, to come um, uh, to, to hear the stories of Jesus and then come and make Jesus their their Lord and Savior. And in so doing and gathering with the church, then they become imitators of the ones who are mature, more experienced believers. That's what he says in verse 14, that the church, the, the new, these new Christians in the uh, uh, Thessalonica, they became imitators of the other churches in Judea, in that region. He, he said the same thing uh, last week back in chapter 1, verse 6 as well. Part of being the church, part of the ministry of discipleship, is that those of us who are mature in the faith, those who are experienced in the faith, are walking with Jesus uh, more closely, and therefore those that then come into the faith become imitators of us as we seek to imitate Jesus. There is no place in the church for one of uh, those favorite sayings, do as I say, not as I do. Now, hopefully, at this stage, you're feeling the demands of this passage. You're fe- this is not just a nice little, let's sing a few songs and have a good time together. This is a demanding passage. This is saying that the purpose of the church is for us to live a life that is a manner of worthy to God. And that those of us who are in the church more and more, longer and longer, that our charge is to be such an example for the new folks that come into the church that they will imitate us as we imitate Jesus. And that our motives are to become purified, to make God the one we please more and more in our lives. And that as we engage with folks outside the faith, we're supposed to share our lives with them. I mean, that takes time and that gets messy. This is a demanding call to discipleship and to be a disciple-making community. But that is the purpose that Jesus gave the church. That we are to help one another, encourage, support urge one another on, like a mother, like a father, to follow and obey Jesus. And and this kind of demand means that really you can't have that many relationships where you really share your life with another. Now, I, I I would say that our simple charge here is to say what is one relationship and with someone outside the church in which you're sharing your life with them and in so doing, sharing, sharing the, the stories of Jesus as he impacts you in order to feed their hope 
and to please your heavenly Father. Now, as a, as a church, as an organization, and the, the staff of the church, we, we have set up some options for you to consider to, to live into the d- demands that Paul brings before us here of what it means to be a disciple-making community. And these are just, these are just possibilities. Um, there's plenty of other ways that, that God might lead you to share your life um, with others in this ministry of discipleship and evangelism. But I want to share with you just, just a couple. Uh, one, like the hope groups that we've developed um, where folks get together through Zoom meetings and there they, they talk about the passage and the message that giving now and they talk, how does this impact our life? What does this mean to us in our lives now? And I was um, really uh, overwhelmed that there are now 11 or 12 groups that have formed and are already meeting and have discussed um, either last Sunday or the, the Sunday before. And I pray that those groups are places where trust is developing, where a community is developing, where you do this ministry of sharing life with each other, of looking at the words of the Scripture and saying, how do they impact our life? And those that are still looking for that invite you to come and participate um, in that. You just Email hopegroups at chpc.org and we'll connect you with a group um, that you can engage with to to share life, to discuss uh, the Word of God and how it impacts your life. Uh, Another um, relates particularly to those of you that have uh, families with children in uh, the home. Uh, you know, we, we have a youth minister. We have a minister of, of children um, uh, ministries. And uh, they are here in order to run programs that support and encourage families and parents to carry out their primary discipling relationship. It's ready-made for you in the home that you would be one who would disciple your children. That you would nurture and care and and lead them as the mother and father. So that in their lives they would know the impact of Jesus in you. And as you share that with them, that would feed their hope. So that they too would follow and obey Jesus with you. And uh, Samuel and Jennifer, they're here to to help support and encourage every family on this disciple-making journey. Um, another option is for you to consider someone at, at your workplace or someone in your neighborhood. Maybe you're spending more time in your neighborhood now than in your workplace. Where, wherever you are, there are others that God has around you who don't know Jesus or maybe they've fallen away from the faith or they're young in the faith. And you can um, share your life with them. Get in, engage with their, their lives and take advantage of the ministry of Alpha. Uh, when that, un, uh, when the uh, restrictions uh, are um, set aside and we can have Alpha again, or if they stay, keep going, we might try to do Alpha in, in some virtual, virtual way. But that ministry is here to, to set up to help us to engage with folks um, outside the faith and there to, to share how Jesus has impacted us so as to feed the hope of those who don't know him. So take advantage. Uh, so there, those are three different ways. Again, just one. You know, just take care of one, maybe two, but you, you just can't have relationships like that 
that this significant, you can't have many. Just have a, a few of those. There are other avenues as well in, in the church or with others um, as experienced parents. Maybe it's to engage with a set of parents who are young parents. Uh, maybe if you're experienced in marriage, you, you engage with a couple who are just starting in marriage. You, you share your life with them and how Jesus impacted you and you share your faith with them. And that can be with someone um, not in the faith or young in the faith, or, or maybe even it's just through the, the church's ministry with children and, and youth. That you, as a, an experienced, mature follower of Jesus, want to share your life with children or with youth in order to feed the hope that is uh, um, their, their hope um, as well to know God as um, the, the one who is their creator and the one who loves them and the one who has a life for them to the full. Now, so again, these are just some of the examples I present before you to consider. But think with me just for a moment. What kind of difference would this make in, in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our city? If, if simply you and I had one person that we shared our life with who, who didn't know Jesus so that we might share with them how he's impacted us and feed their hope so much so that they would be compelled to follow Jesus with us. What, what if we, we shared our stories in that way and it fed the hope of others around us? What if, indeed, we engage with God to purify our motives so that God is the one that we please? What, what if we, not only with those outside the faith, but in a relationship or two with folks inside the faith, we shared our lives with each other to challenge and encourage and help one another to obey Jesus, to live a life in a manner that is worthy of God? What kind of impact would that have in your hope, in my hope, and in the hope of the world. Amen. Let's pray together.